When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they, have, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, these are lovely words. That we have just read. It is a remarkable thing for us to to sit and to hear your son pray. 
And now we join him in dependence on you because while these are lovely words, they are also mysterious ones. They sometimes uh, confuse us and challenge us. And so we ask for your help. We pray that that we would know the, the promise that Jesus has given to us that That he would send us a helper, that he would send us a comforter, that he would send the Holy Spirit who would help us know the truth. We pray that he would do that this morning. That he would open our minds and hearts to receive your word, not just as concepts, but as a word of life and love spoken to us by you. Help us to receive that and be changed by it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a conversation that happens fairly often in my marriage. And it usually happens after we've put the kids to bed and we sit down on the couch to watch a little bit of television before going to sleep ourselves. And the conversation goes something like this. What do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? I don't know. You pick. No, I picked last time. You pick. Isn't it sometimes hard to know and express what we want? At a more significant level, isn't it hard sometimes to know and to express what we want to God? Does your mind ever go blank when someone like me asks someone like you, how can I pray for you? What desires and what needs can I speak to God on your behalf? Sometimes it's hard to know And express what we want. Well, good news for indecisive people. Jesus is not so indecisive. Jesus is not so indecisive in knowing and expressing desire. John 17 is, I don't, you don't, it's hard to rank Different parts of scripture, but this is, this is one of the most remarkable places in the Bible. We are here in this chapter given incredible access into a kind of internal conversation within God Himself. The Son speaking to the Father about what He wants, including What he wants for us. Verse 27, he says, I'm asking these things not just for these disciples who sat around the table with him all those many years ago. But I'm asking for those who believe in my name through their word. He is praying for Center Point Church. He is praying for. For you, if you believe in Him, He is expressing desires for you to the Father. Amazing. And so I want us to listen in this morning to this divine conversation where Jesus expresses what He wants. And we'll hear three things in this prayer. Uh, first of all, we're, we'll hear His request 
for us. And then we'll hear the the reason for his request. And then we'll hear the effectiveness of his request. So first of all, Jesus' request. What does he want for us? Well, Jesus knows that he has left us in a vulnerable position. In the world, without his full presence, threatened, as he says, by the evil one. And so he asks his father to keep us, to protect us, and to guard us. But did you notice that he he doesn't pray for God to keep us from all harm? He doesn't pray for God to protect us from all pain and suffering. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? But that's not what he prays. He prays for the Father to keep us in His name. Now the name of God is a significant theme throughout Scripture. It should remind us of of scenes like like the one in the Old Testament. Where where Moses has a conversation uh, with this flammable but not consumable plant. And and it of course ends up being a conversation with God. And it is a conversation in which God gives to Moses and the people his name. And this name simultaneously reveals two aspects of God. It simultaneously reveals that God is free. He is transcendently self-sufficient. He names himself, no one else names him. He defines himself, no one else defines him. But at the same time, not only is he free and transcendent, but he is also unwaveringly committed to this group of people who are slaves. He is unwaveringly committed to his people to be their God, to be with them and to be for them. That's the name of God. That's what it means. And Jesus When he says in verse 6 that he has manifested the name, he is saying that he has been a better burning bush. He has been a better revelation of who God is to his disciples. He has shown his disciples Who God is for them. The freely transcendent one. Who has chosen to be with them. For them. And even more. The language is more extensive here. It's just not with and for. It's also in. He has chosen to be in them. And them In Him. You see, the gift of God's name isn't merely the gift of information about God. As I have said before, it is the gift of a groom to the bride. So to be in God's name is to be held Profoundly close 
the righteous one. To the holy one. Which is why Jesus also prays. Not only for our protection. But for our sanctity. Our sanctification. That language also comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the rituals of God's people that marked a person or an object or an animal as fit, as acceptable for use in the presence and the purposes of God. So this week in community Bible reading, we read about the, the building of the temple in 1 Kings. Solomon built the temple and those passages tells us tells us that God put his name there. Consecration, sanctification, marks a priest or a spoon as worthy, acceptable to be used in the place of God's name. So when Jesus prays for our sanctity, He prays that we would be made fit, acceptable for God's presence. Fit and acceptable for His purposes, His design, His work in the world. So here's what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be brought profoundly close to who God is for us and what God wants for us and to be held there throughout our lives. I was watching the Wildcrafts this week. Uh, That's not something that my wife and I watch. That is uh, something that my kids watch. And I eavesdrop on it sometimes and learn interesting facts about animals. And the show we were watching, the Crap Brothers uh, were learning about pigeons. And they were learning about the pigeon's creature power of always being able to find their way home. And so Chris and Martin, who are the Crap Brothers, if you didn't know that, Chris and Martin, they take this, at the end of the show, they took this poor pigeon and put it in a cage and then covered that cage with a blanket and then rode on an elephant uh, in all kinds of crazy directions trying to get the pigeon lost. And of course it didn't work. As soon as they opened the cage, the pigeon flew straight to his home. Jesus is asking the Father to make us pigeons. Always drawn to our home in Him. Always drawn to find our deepest security and stability. To find our highest meaning, purpose, and direction. In who he is for us. Jesus longs for the magnetism of God and his presence and his will. To be the center of gravity for our lives. Our stability. Our direction. Our purpose. 
See, the work of the evil one, who he mentions, is always to pull us away from that. Sinclair Ferguson says that the primary work of Satan in the lives of Christian believers is the attempt of identity theft. He is always trying to steal away who we are because of who God is for us. And so Jesus prays that we would be kept in the name. That we would be guarded and protected in and by who God is for us. That's what he wants. Is that what you want? Is that your desire? Is that a priority for you? Is that a prayer for you? For those who sit around you in this room? Now, why would it be? Why would it be a priority for us? Why does Jesus so long for us to be sanctified and kept? Well, consider secondly, the reason for his request. The reason for the request that Jesus makes for us. And the answer to the question, why, is in the fact that Jesus doesn't only make requests for us. He also makes requests for himself. He also prays for himself. Isn't that how the prayer begins? The prayer begins with the son speaking with the father about what? Glory. Now we've run across that word a good bit in this gospel. But let me say again, the glory of God is the tangible demonstration of his supreme greatness. It is the visible, audible display of his majesty, his excellence, his wonderfulness, if I can make up a word. That's his glory. And that's what Jesus wants. Before he prays for us, he prays for that. That the Son would be glorified and that the Father would be glorified in the Son. That's his highest desire and it is not only his desire, it's his plan. It's it's in fact the eternal plan of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's his goal. That is his mission. Everything that Jesus says and does flows from that. And so please recognize that his mission doesn't begin and end with you. His prayer, his desire doesn't begin and end with you. It begins and ends with God and his glory. And the showing, the displaying of his greatness in the world. And maybe that seems demeaning, but it's not. It should be humbling, but it's not demeaning. It's not, it is in fact incredibly dignifying. Because not only does Jesus say, this is what I want, this is what I am about. But he takes us and makes us a part of it. He makes us a part of that glory mission. 
It's not about us, but it involves us. So he can go on to say in verse 10 that that he is glorified in us. Even more amazing, he can say in verse 22 that the glory the Father has given to him, he gives to us. Think about that. That is is dangerously close to blasphemous. The glory that the Father has given to the Son, the Son turns around and He gives to us. He involves us in this great goal, this great mission, this great desire that God would be glorified in the earth. You see, He wants us to be kept in the name So that the name would be known in all the world. That's why he prays what he does for us. That's why he prays for sanctity and protection. So that the glory of God would be displayed. You notice how he emphasizes that he he isn't praying for the world. He says it a couple times. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for, for these people. These people who believe in me. Why is that? Is it because he doesn't care about the world? No, it's because what is best for the world is a community of people who are gathered, who are kept, who are sanctified for the glory of God. The best thing for the world is this community and hear the communal aspect here, not just individuals. Jesus wants us to be made one so that the world would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's why Jesus prays for you. He wants you to be a part of that. With this prayer, Jesus paints us into His portrait of God's beauty. Don't you long for your life to belong to something beautiful? Don't you long for your life to belong to something significant? Something larger than you? Well, there is nothing more beautiful. There is nothing more significant than the glory of God. Jesus makes you a part of it. He prays you into that picture of God's beauty for the good of the world. But how does that happen? Do you ever feel like when you pray, you're just throwing words into the wind? It's kind of this exercise in wishful thinking. How do we know that what Jesus wants, what he asks for here isn't just wistful thinking. How do we know that this happens, that this becomes real, not just desire? Well, consider thirdly, the effectiveness of Jesus' request. And notice in verses 17 to 19, as he prays for our sanctification, as he prays for our sanctity, he doesn't just pray for it, but he says in verse 19, I am sanctifying myself. Consecrating was the same word as sanctification. Jesus says, I am consecrating myself so that they can be sanctified. 
Do you hear it? He's making his request effective. Now what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be sanctified so that we can be sanctified? Well, remember, recall, when is Jesus, when was Jesus praying this prayer? It's the night before he died, right? It was the night before the Lamb of God became the perfectly consecrated sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. It was the night before his hour, verse 1, when he would be lifted up like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, healing the people of Israel. He would be lifted up as that servant that Isaiah promised. He would be lifted up bloody and battered, revealing the glory of God. In the Gospel of John, this theme of glory, the ultimate glory of God, is seen at the cross. And then Jesus was raised, and then he was returned to the full presence of the Father. And what does he do there? What does he do in the presence of the Father right now? Well, he keeps doing this. The book of Hebrews says that he is there now praying for us. That's how his request become effective. You see, Jesus is the answer to his own prayer. Jesus is the answer to his own prayer. He sheds his blood to wash us, to sanctify us, to make us clean, to make us fit and acceptable for the presence and the purposes of God. Remember this extended conversation with his disciples? It ends here in chapter 17, but it, ends in, it, it begins in chapter 13, where Jesus does what? He washes his disciples' feet. He sanctifies his disciples' feet. And it, an enacted explanation of what he was about to do on the cross. He sanctifies us by his blood. Through the power of his death and his resurrection and his ongoing intercession for us before the Father, he keeps us. He guards us. He protects us. He holds us close and promises never to let us go. And through the gift of his Holy Spirit, he gives to us that glory. Through the gift of the Spirit, we receive the glory of God and are enabled to reflect His glory into the world. That's how His requests become effective. He is the answer to His own prayer. And that is why the words truth and word are repeated over and over again in this text. For example, verse 17. Sanctify them how? In the truth, your word is truth. Now, what's the truth? What's the word? Well, John teaches us to ask better, who's the truth? Who's the word? Jesus says, chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
How does this gospel begin to speak of Jesus? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. That's how these desires happen. That's how this vision becomes a reality in your life. A reality here at Centerpoint Church. It is through the presence and the work and the message of Jesus. And that's all. That is the only way. That we will become a people who are one for the glory of God. It is through the presence, the work, and the message about Jesus. For Christmas, I bought my wife a fire pit. So that we wouldn't spend so much time sitting in front of the television. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I've learned something about building fires. Fires create circles. Fires create circles. You know this, right? You go out camping, you build a fire, and what happens? Eventually, everyone drifts and sits in a circle around that fire. That's what Jesus does. Jesus wants a people who are one, who are gathered, kept, sanctified for the glory of God. And He offers Himself As the fire. He offers himself as the heat that draws us together and that empowers us for this great mission. So let's not gather around another fire. Don't gather your life around another fire. Center point, as a church, let's not gather around another fire. Let's not gather around our reputation. Let's not gather around our desire for fame. Let's not gather around our competencies, our intelligence. Let's not gather around our accomplishments. Let's not gather around our comfort and our preferences. Let's gather Around the fire, the presence, the work, and the message about Jesus. He's not indecisive. He's not indecisive about what he wants for himself. He's not indecisive about what he wants for us. In fact, he stands now with the Father, still asking for. Still praying that we would be kept, that we would be sanctified for the glory of God. And he does that with scars on his hands, feet, and his side. As the assurance that what he wants will happen. What he wants will In your life. What he wants will happen in his 
church. And so let that be an assurance for you this week. Remind yourself that Jesus is praying for you. And he prays with his own scars to keep you, to sanctify you, to enable you to live for the glory of God. Let's remain in that this week. Let's pray.